You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. everyone and welcome to the drinks with johnny podcast thank you guys so much for being here thanks for listening as i'm having so much fun making this podcast because i get to sit down with guys like my guest this week matt hardy of the hardys aew wwe professional wrestler tna he's done it all um it's been awesome to have uh conversations like this with some of the people that i've grown up watching in the professional wrestling world and getting to know them a little bit i mean for fuck's sake, I get, I, I'm texting Matt Hardy now. Never thought that would happen. Uh, my 12-year-old self would definitely be uh, pretty stoked on that. So uh, it's awesome to have this chat. We get into all of uh, Matt Hardy's career, obviously, uh, some parts of that. We also just uh, human to human have some conversations about being a dad and what that is. I mean, he's got me beat by three. He's got four kids. I've only got one. So uh, I, I take any advice he has uh, for that. Uh, we got into a lot more about his wrestling, about uh, everything that uh, goes on in the business side for a little bit there. And uh, it was just a lot of fun getting to know Matt a little bit here. Hope that we could get him back on for a follow-up this Thursday because, man, I got to tell you guys, after the cameras stopped rolling is when we really started to hit it off. And uh, there were some great stories that I don't know if he'll be able to repeat, but I'm sure we uh, now that we have a little bit of better of a rapport, if I could get Matt on the phone this week, uh, we'll be having him on for that uh, Thirsty Thursday follow-up. So make sure you guys are subscribed and tuned in for that. Um, it's been an absolute blast. I was I was in Las Vegas for this one as well. This was actually the first chat that I had in Las Vegas with any of the guys from the AEW roster as I was there for Dynamite, Rampage, and of course Double or Nothing. It was an absolute blast. I mean, we talked a little bit about uh, the match between the Hardys and the Young Bucks. This is obviously recorded before the match happened. And, uh, of course, their amazing cosplay of the of the Hardys on AEW's Rampage. If you haven't seen that, go back and watch it. To me, it was akin to uh, back in the day when Shawn Michaels and, and uh, Triple H would do their cosplay stuff and dress up as different people in D-Generation X. Uh, the Young Bucks absolutely nailed it, down to the T, even with Brandon doing uh, Lita, which was absolutely hilarious, and then that spot with Gangrel coming in. We didn't know that was going to happen uh, at this point, so that was really cool. I am I, I definitely urge you guys to go back and watch that. I'm sure you can find clips of it. It was really fun. But uh, again, had an absolute blast with this conversation with Matt. So uh, without further ado, here it is, Matt Hardy of the Hardys. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Drinks with Johnny live. Well, not live, but from Vegas, here with a very awesome guest. I'm here all weekend for the AEW events. We got Double or Nothing coming up on Sunday. And today, I'm joined by one half of the Hardys, Matt Hardy. How are you doing today? Very man? cool. I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm ready to rock and roll in Vegas. Hell yeah. Roll the dice. So you said you got in uh, Tuesday night. We're recording right now on a, what is it, Thursday afternoon? On a Thursday afternoon, yeah. yeah. Got in late Tuesday night. We had a... a, a Action-packed day on Wednesday with a dynamite, obviously, that evening. And then uh, today I've done some media, and then I'm here being uh, blessed with your presence. Oh, well, thank you for being here, man. It's it's uh, really cool. I'm excited for the match coming up. Um, 
Double or nothing. Me too. That's going to be, I mean, that's like a, that's a dream tag team uh, matchup, right? It, it really is. And, and there are so many ways the Bucks kind of took the style that we started and they upped the ante in it. And, and they are two extremely talented kids. And it's so funny because they're so polarizing to so many of the diehard wrestling fans. You know, and there, there's a lot of guys who give them a hard time because they go over the top to be entertainers. And like anything that people might give them heat about or, or be upset about with them, they really lean into it, which also is even more polarizing to the fans, right. which is so funny. And we uh, did this big gig about calling them Hardy Cosplayers nonstop. <laughs> and uh, Rampage, which is going to be on tomorrow live, uh, which yeah. will be uh, aired already by the time this probably is debuted. Uh, they're going to really embrace and lean into the whole cosplaying gig. And it, it should be a really fun no, night I tomorrow night Rampage. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be, be there tomorrow night. Yeah. I can't wait for that. That's awesome, man. Um, you mentioned uh, a little bit about the, the Young Bucks there, too. I heard you on your podcast that you just started, The Extreme mm-hmm. Life of Matt Hardy. Cool. Um, talking about how they're similar to you guys, uh, wanted to stay as a tag team pretty much the whole time. And that was like something you were talking about. Vince over in WWE wasn't really keen on that. Once you guys were over, you kind of want to split you up yeah. and have a, have a title holder and stuff. But you guys always wanted to stay together. You talk a little bit about that and yeah. the kinship with the Bucks there. For sure. Um, yeah, the, the Bucks really do. They, they, they have no desire to be singles wrestlers. Uh, they really want to focus on being, you know, one of the greatest tag teams of all time, if not the greatest tag team ever. And, and they want to do tag team wrestling for the uh, entirety of their career. And Vince, his mindset, it, it's always so strange. He's always thinking of the next person is going to be that number one draw, that number one act. You know, it's going to be a, a Hulk Hogan or Stone Cold Steve Austin or Rock or Triple H or whatever. And any time a tag team gets over, the first thing he thinks, like, how can I split these guys off and make money off them individually? I want to, you know, establish them as one of my top guys. Yeah. And, and early in the beginning, uh, he wanted to split us before. We were we definitely weren't ready to go on our own and do singles. We're like, I don't think it's the best idea. I don't think it's the best idea. But he kept pushing forward, pushing forward. We ended up coming back together, and then he tried it again later. And it's just, he, he, he really made that... Uh, a quest of his, I think. He eventually said, I'm going to get these Hardy Boys on their own. And I think towards, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, we were ready to go on our own by that time. We were mature enough after having yeah. 10 years there or whatever. But, you know, being a tag team wrestler or being a tag team wrestler and being a, a great tag team has always been our goal from day one. And still, we like going out and doing single stuff, but, like, ultimately, we want to be, uh, be known as one of the greatest tag teams ever. No, I think you're already there, to be honest. So. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I grew up watching uh, uh, WWE during the Attitude Era when you guys were uh, kind of breaking out towards, like, 99 stuff after the No Mercy, the right. infamous No Mercy, obviously. Yep. Um, and that, I guess it's just famous, not infamous, but, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was an incredible, uh, t- that was the first tag team ladder match in WWE, right? Yeah, and, and that, that was really the, uh, that was the beginning of the whole TLC movement mm-hmm. because we had that tag team ladder match. It ended up being such a success, and I, I even remember Stone Cold at the very end of the night, you know, he gave us all a beer. You know, give one to myself, Jeff, Edge, Christian. He said, all right, boys, you know, I know you guys aren't big drinkers or anything, but hell, you guys sold the show tonight. Here's the time to have a, a cheer so an old Steve Weiser. You know, so, so we had that. And then, uh, th- then, we, then we had a little bit of, uh, you know, we had a little bit of Vince's confidence in, and he allowed us to do the, the tables match with the Dudleys at World War 2000. Mm-hmm. And then we combined everything, and, and lo and behold, the TLC concept was born. Yeah. I heard you on your uh, podcast talking about, I think it was your, your co-host, John Alba, right? Yeah. He was talking about how uh, you guys didn't get residuals on those, on those pay-per-views afterward, after they called them the table letters, ladders and chairs match. No, no, no. We, we don't, man. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't get any of the network money either. Nah, that's, that's, that's some BS, man. Vince has got it stacked in his favor strongly. <laughs> 
Do you think, uh, are, you, are you a fan of the, the Young Rock show that, uh, that Dwayne Johnson's got going on? I, uh, I, saw, the, I saw the first season of it, and okay. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed yeah. that. And I, I like Rock. Rock was always real cool. He, from beginning to end, I feel like he never changed. You know, we, we first met Rocky when he started doing his whole Rocky Mavia deal, when he was getting booed out of the buildings and they're die, Rocky die. Yeah. You know, but he was always super kind to us when we were there doing extra work as enhancement talent back in the day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, Rock's always been great, and, and I, I'm so happy that he's achieved so much success, right. mainstream success. Well, I, I bring it up because uh, if you've, uh, they just, he just had the uh, season finale of season two, mm-hmm. and it's starting to get into that Rocky Maivia time where he's getting booed and everything All like right. that. So it's getting into like the 94. You guys are about to come around into that time. Right. You think you're, you you're uh, going to see a couple guys playing uh, Matt and Jeff Hardy in that show? Maybe so. Maybe he can, uh, maybe he can uh, re- reenact the scene when we're all on that 70s show together. Well, tell, we I, actually, I, I don't know if I saw that episode. Yeah, we actually did that. It was him and Ken, Ken Shamrock were like the featured guys, but that's before we ever got a push, before we were with Michael Hayes. It just literally hired us and gave us a little bit, so we were kind of like you know superstar wrestlers on the roster or whatever. But like uh, they, they called us to go do this, and they needed two guys to go like have a match in the ring. And we got to do that, but it was cool because it was the first TV show that we were going to work on. <laughs> and how was that, though? Like, what do you remember from it, it being the first one? Yeah. It's got to be one that you remember a little bit more than maybe some of the other For ones. For sure. Yeah, it, it was a fun experience. And I remember, too, like, I, the, the biggest thing I remember is that we had to uh, do this match over and over again. And Jeff took, like, a big backdrop, and I took a whole bunch of bumps, too. But, like, we are both invincible. We were young and invincible and indestructible at that, at that stage yeah, yeah. of the game. <laughs> you know, Father Tom eventually catches up to all of us, for sure. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> He's undefeated. Yeah. Oh, yes. Nobody goes over on no, Father Tom. No one does. <laughs> Anyways, you're saying um, you guys were taking bumps, doing all that. Did you interact with... Um, I guess you guys were just more like wrestling, but did you interact with the other actors on that show? A, a little bit, yeah. Everybody was uh, everybody was really friendly that was on the show, yeah. and it, it was a, a nice a nice vibe, a nice uh, environment, nice atmosphere, and, and we enjoyed it. It was it was cool because we're like, oh my god, not only are we wrestling, we have a contract, actually making a living out of this deal. Like we got to go be on a TV show. Yeah. So that was that was exciting. Yeah, I mean, I was, that was probably all the original like the big cast, right? Cause yeah. They, they went through a couple iterations of that mm-hmm. cast lineup, I think. Um, I don't know why I'm talking about that. <laughs> that's, fucking, that's what we do. But another thing, you, you just mentioned, like, uh, you guys were indestructible at the time, and I heard you talking about in your podcast something I didn't realize is that the rings are built differently than they used to be. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, when we first started for the first couple of years, wrestling in the 80s, obviously, it was like big guys lumbering around, and they weren't mm-hmm. taking, like, a whole bunch of bumps. There wasn't, like, a bunch of superplexes. There weren't guys doing swantons and moonsaults right. nonstop. They were built for... 350, 400 pound guys. So the rings were super strong and solid like a concrete floor. And I would almost bet that is why Shawn Michaels ended up having that back surgery in his career because he was a guy who took a lot of bumps and he took all those bumps on that super stiff, hard ring. Right. And then once the style started changing a little bit, they uh, fortunately changed the ring and they made it where it was a lot more bump, bump friendly. And it was a little easier to land on, especially if you're taking a big bump. Well, how, how did they do that? Did, like, what's, how, what is that major transition from the two of them? Like, I understand you're saying mm-hmm. one of them's harder, one yep. of them's softer, but like, what's the technology there? Uh, I, I think basically it was very simple. I think they had like uh, long beams underneath, you know, as far as engineering goes. I'm not an engineer, obviously. I'm a dumb pro wrestler. But uh, <laughs> engineering-wise, they had these big beams, you know, and they probably had them like every foot across in the ring. So that was definitely there to, to make sure that the floor was stable for a 350-400 pound guy. And I think as time went on, they maybe uh, made them a little shorter and they were still strong and stout, but also widened it out a little bit so there was just more give to the ring. Right, okay. They probably had that in the Lucha 
circuits though too already because those guys were already flying around quite a bit, right? Yeah, yeah, and so, sometimes those uh, rings in Mexico are notoriously hard too. Really? Yeah, they just went for it. Yeah, they they just went for it. They're just a different breed animal, man. <laughs> Did you do any of the uh, any of the stuff down there? Uh, I have, yeah. We went to Mexico a few times. We went to Puerto Rico. We went to Japan. All in the process of trying to make it to the big time, you know, wherever that would be. And uh, fortunately, it ended up being WWE. Whenever we finally did get a break, mm-hmm. it, it was it was real cool, man. I was even something I said in my promo uh, last night as well. Like you know, if the Young Bucks had to walk down the you know the very brutal path that we had to, they would have never survived because we we do have very similar upbringings. You know, we. They were raised in a very Christian family. Their, their, their family was very religious. Our mom was very religious. Our dad, he's just an old school Southern man who would, you know, get up at sunrise and work till sundown. But, you know, our mom died early of brain cancer. I was 11 and my brother was eight. Oh, it's all good. And uh, we were very inspired by her to, like, you know, be, be good people, do whatever. And, like, whenever we went to WWE, we didn't drink, we didn't smoke, we didn't do drugs, do whatever. And it's almost similar to how the Young Bucks are, their story. But it really was the wild, wild west then. And, and they would say, guys, the culture, the way they would haze young guys just to make sure they're okay. Hold up. They said, if you're, not getting, if you're not getting fucked up, if you're not getting altered at all, like, we don't know if we can trust you. you know? <laughs> so they kind of put the pressure on all the young guys to like, do something. So we used to be good kids until this damn pro wrestling message. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So when, when did you say, like, when did you start drinking and, and doing all that then? Like, right, pretty much right at I mean, I know famously Jeff was underage at 16, yeah, lying yeah, about yeah, his yeah, age yeah. to get uh, yep. that first debut against the one, two, three kid at the yep. time. Uh, what about for you? What was, what was, I'm, everyone, everywhere I looked, it seems to be talking a little bit more about Jeff because he was so young at 16. But, yeah. Uh, there wasn't enough about, about your first couple matches and, and speaking on the, the party scene there. Yeah. Well, when we first started as enhancement talents, you know, doing that deal, the first gig I wrestled was a, a live match on Raw. And I had only had about 12 legitimate matches in a, in a regulation ring. We had this ring we did with this guy who was such a super carny when we first got introduced to the business. His name was Kenneth Morgan. Uh, super redneck country guy, uh, sweetheart. But he had a ring that was 20 by 20 and it had like concrete uh, floors in it, which was literally like those old school hard rings and a trampoline in the middle. And he said, I heard you guys wrestle in your backyard on a trampoline. I think this ring would be perfect for you guys. <laughs> And he was just doing stuff at like local fairs and fairgrounds. So we did some of those. And then like we met a guy who was legitimately in the business and we started doing some regulation matches and whatnot. And then the first time I went to WWE and wrestled Nikolai Volkov, I remember Tony Gabria, an old famous wrestler who was the agent of the match. He was in charge of our match. And you know, it was a, a quick match where Nikolai was gonna beat me up. But uh, he said, I, I have to tell you, Matt Hardy, he said, if you mess this match up on live TV, you will never be booked again. You will never come again. Do not mess up. If you mess up, you will never come again. No pressure. No pressure. And Nikolai Volkov comes off and he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. I just listen to what I say out there. It's going to be very easy. He said, don't, don't worry about it. He said, I, I fuck up every match. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen to me? And he just didn't Love care. It. He didn't call anything. He didn't do anything. And I'm this 18 year old kid. Like, you know, a guy just told me, he said, if you mess up, you'll never come back. He's like, oh, I'll mess up every match. Don't worry about it. Yeah, getting on both sides. Yeah. Then. But then once we got hired uh, and we were. 24, 22-ish at the time. And then, uh, you know, first time drinking, probably 25, 23. That was your first time ever having a drink? Yeah, yeah. First do, you remember, do you remember exactly what it, what it, what it was, where it was? Anything when, like we that? That, when we had that beer with Stone Cold, that, that was, was the first, first one. That was, that was the very beer. first one. And we, we said like, Stone hey. Stone Cold broke you. Yeah, yeah. We said like, you know, if gonna, but, then, but then there were other guys that, you know, had other different things. And then like later on, as, you know, before we went on air, I was telling you a little bit like, you know, the first 
12, 13 years I had with WWE, and I just my back was so beat up. And I remember there was one mm-hmm. point where I said, like, oh, I think I need time off. I had to roll out of bed and crawl to the bathtub to soak in my bed or whatever. You know, and they just said, oh, we really can't give you any time off. We really trust you. You know, you're, you're really dependable in what you do. Just go to the doctor, see what he can do to help you. And, you know, all he can do is, like, prescribe you pills to try and keep you going through. And that was such a culture back in the day. And, like, you know, that's it's such a bad culture. And uh, that, that, that was something, you know, guys, they were working so hard and so much. It was just like they would take stuff to get through it, you know. And, like, we got into that at the very end. But it was a great learning experience for me in many ways uh, because it was where I matured more than I did in anything else in my life. And then, like, once I got together and, like, I went from being physically, mentally, emotionally, just, you know, beat up and devastated in every way. Once I got myself back together, I really had a good a good hold on how to tackle life and how to deal with right. things and, and what, whatever. Uh, there, there's always going to be situations in life and you just have to be able to, you know, mentally stay strong, keep yourself in check and, and do your thing. And uh, I'm so happy that I went through that before I got married and before I had children. So now, like, it's the best thing ever, you know, like I'm living the good life. And how long have you been married now? Uh, I've been married since 2013 and I've been with my wife for about 12 years. Okay. So, together. yeah. So, was it, person was it pretty... Yeah, was it pretty quick before then? Uh, yeah, uh, that that you had this realization. I ask because I'm going through it a little mm-hmm. bit right now yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah. So it's like uh, you know, uh, getting to that maturity level of like, kind of, I don't know, conceptualizing that number that is our age. I mean, it's yeah. age is all numbers. Sure. So you can conceptualize and go like, yeah, I can't really fuck up like that anymore. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. For sure. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild, and we are the Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and, and my wife, man, she's a, she's a, she's a, she's Puerto Rican. Uh, she's a diehard Brickwood. She's from Queens, New York. So whenever she moved, the Hardy Compound, which is where, you know, Jeff and I are like, we hail from, but it's a real thing. We have 96 acres of land mm-hmm. that, you know, our grandparents grew up on. Initially. And you guys both live, live on the We on do, the yeah. We cut off, you know, we, we live on opposite ends of the, uh, of the, the land. And um, when she first came there from Queens, New York, she said, this is, this is fucking with me. Like, it's too quiet. She said, there's no, like, sirens. There's no, I don't hear the subway. There's not people beeping their horn, cussing out people because there's wow, traffic. Yeah, you know, she said, is, is there going to be, like, a Walking Dead zombie apocalypse here? Like, what is happening? <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you, once the uh, uh, pandemic happened, she was very happy to be there, like, away oh, from right. everyone, you know oh, what yeah. I mean? But it's great. She's, like, embraced it. And the reason I bring her up is because she was, I was lucky to have her. Because that's when we first started dating. Whenever I did go through through my shit and I was very hard to deal with, a lot of people wouldn't have stuck by me, but she stuck by me. And she had that mentality where she will stay on your ass. And she made sure that I got my shit together. You know, so. When we're talking about getting your shit together, was it just, was it physically, mentally, emotionally, all of the above? Was, uh, do you feel like it was some of the partying maybe that got in the way there too? Or was it, or I mean, have you just learned to live with it or have you... Uh, remained abstinent since then from from the party in life. Yeah, I mean, I, I have. I've uh, s- since I've been married and have kids for sure. Because now I like, I feel like my kids are the most important thing because I have something. You know, most people who end up making it in wrestling or showbiz or whatever, you know, music industry. You know, they they, they feel pretty they feel pretty good about themselves. And you you put yourself on a, on a pedestal. You're pretty important. But like for me, having kids, I was like, fuck, I don't really don't matter now. Like right. I just I need these four human beings. You, know, you got live four on. kids? Yeah, I have three boys and a girl. Wow. 
Wow. They're all young. Uh, I got two, my two oldest boys are going to be having bir- uh, birthdays in June. So they're going to be seven, five, and then I have a two-year-old and my girl is going to be a year in July. Wow. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a handful. And even like, you know, when I'm gone away on the road for a few days, it's, it's tough for my wife there. <laughs> yeah, you know, so she, yeah. she 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 loses her mind. Have, does he have any help over there? She does. Her her dad's there, and uh, okay. th- there's a a house that we'd built on our uh, compound as well. And uh, I just let him live there. He lives there, and he just helps out. That's just, great. Yeah, that'd, that'd, be a, that'd be a handful. Yeah, it'd own. be a handful. And she she's excited. She's coming to L.A. with me next week, so she's excited oh, to get a awesome. house. And she's got some friends in L.A. that she hadn't seen in years, obviously, because you know the world's been so insane or whatever. Right. But yeah, man, it, it's uh. It, it was good, man. She's, she's very tough, but uh, she was the kind of tough person I needed. And she's like really a, like a, a ride or die when it comes to that. Like she, she will stick with you through, through thick and thin. Yeah. And like you were saying, though, like having kids, I have a five-year-old son, mm-hmm. and I could totally uh, uh, empathize with that, like that idea of coming from a different world and like it doesn't even matter anymore because mm-hmm. this is all that matters, right? Right. right. And it's like you kinda, it kind of puts everything into perspective, right? It really does. And uh that's that's kind of an eye-opening thing too. Um, I'm learning to uh, figure out how to still drink with that though. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Do you uh, partake in drinking at all anymore, or is it complete? Uh, it may, maybe once in a while, once in a you while, know, yeah, but yeah. but it's not an often thing at all. And it, well, should, well, well, if you do drink, or even pre- previous when you're part, maybe drinking more frequently, what's your go-to? Uh, I was just like a, a big vodka, like an orange juice vodka, cranberry vodka type guy. Okay, you know, that would be that would be my thing mainly. But it, it was like once, once I, I was a single guy, like 2005, 2006, from that year to like 2011, I was just living like a rock star, you know, on the mm-hmm. road. I just have, having crazy times. And there were guys that I would hang, we had like a little group of guys that would go out and we'd party and we'd go hard every single night. So uh, it was one of those times between being physically hurt because of the job and then just living that lifestyle, I just, I, I ultimately burn out in. Right. Well, I mean... I mean, that's a coupled thing. Like, I, I can understand and, uh, and empathize with uh, just the being on the road part. Like, mm-hmm. Even that's just hard to deal with. But I don't have the physical uh, uh, problem happening as well. I don't. Right. Running around, it's physical, being on stage and shit. Yeah. But, like, it's, I'm not taking bumps. I'm not, that's, let's not compare the two. So, you know, adding that to it, I could see how it would be easy to just go down that path. Oh, my God, yeah. And, and the fact that it's everyone else's. I mean, but it, and just to the point, it's like you see. Baseball players doing double headers. You guys are doing double headers, triple headers, like every day, mm-hmm. and everyone gives them shit for taking steroids. I'm like, I'm doing it safe. Let them fucking do it. They're out there killing themselves. You know, and they all gonna retire half broken. You know, so it's like, just let them figure it out. I mean, where do you, I mean, obviously it could become a problem, especially with, uh, you know, especially back in the 80s and 90s, the drugs that they were taking then. Yeah, they yeah, were, I definitely. Mean, the technology has changed quite a bit these days, mm-hmm. at least. Um, uh, and also, I think society's now. changed a lot too. Yeah, that's true. You know, and, and I think that kind of you know uh, I, the wrestling business. I think most entertainment industries kind of mirror society. They kind of have to change with society to a degree. Mm-hmm. And and wrestling certainly has changed. The culture has changed in wrestling. You know, for, for the better for sure. Yeah. Well, you've you've seen quite a bit of it over over the years too. Yeah. Like, so you're saying for the better. What are some of the what are some of the things you're enjoying? You know, I mean, you're coming back to AEW and uh, you know came back in the middle of the pandemic. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> right. But, you know, um, you're coming, basically coming back to wrestling at, after having four kids. You got your compound. You got everything. I got to imagine you don't need to wrestle right now. Right. So you're coming back for fun. What, what is it that's bringing you back and, and, you know, now having your brother yeah. uh, come over yeah. to AEW with you? 
I gotta imagine this is just all fun for you now, right? It, it is, it, it's, it's been really fun, and, and it is important to us to really try and submit our legacy as okay. one of the greatest teams ever, you know? And, and I think whenever, if we win the AEW, and I'm not even gonna say if, I'm gonna say when we win the AEW World like Tag Team titles, yeah. yeah. Uh, that will make us the only team in history that has held major world tag team titles over four different decades. You know, the 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and then would be the 2020s with AEW. So th that's very important to us. We want to really cement our legacy as one of the greats. And then also, it's, it's very important to me. I, I want my kids to be able to experience, to see what dad does. Yeah. You know, wrestling, because it's so, so crazy. Like, my oldest two, they just think everybody's dad has like action figures. You know, I have like a setup downstairs in my arcade. Yeah, yeah. You know, with like 200 action figures. And they're just like, okay, well, I mean, everyone's dad has action figures, right? Yeah. You know, and it's just for them to kind of understand what I do and, and be able to take it in and they get to come to shows and they'll, they'll meet some of the young people, you know, and it's like they, they like some of the young guys, which is real cool that, you know, dad yeah. I works with. My oldest son, Maxwell, lo loves Jungle Boy a lot because they have like similar hair. He has long hair as well. Oh, it's kind of curly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, they, and one of the guys liked Orange Cassidy a lot when I was wrestling with him. I said, why do you keep beating up Orange Cassidy? He's nice, Dad. Uh, he's nice. <laughs> but, but that was also another reason I want to do it. And, and it's just something I love and I'm passionate about. And while I can still do it, I want to do it. Right. Because I know I have a very limited window of being able to do it. Well, I mean, you just nailed everything that I was hoping you'd say about that, especially with the kids. I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, not to talk about too much about myself, but bringing up the kinship of, of it and my understandings. I, I've been off the road since my son, basically four months old, so he has, he's never mm. seen me on stage before. So I, I'm like, I'm yeah. itching to get back. Yeah, out yeah, yeah, show yeah for sure. I so I, yeah. I, I feel you on that. Like, yeah. how long was that break for you? Uh, like, when was the last time to say Maxwell is your oldest, right? Yep. Uh, when was the last match he saw till you came back in w uh, AEW in 2020? Um, the the last match he saw was a WWE match. They mm -hmm. they came to every WrestleMania when we were there. Uh, that was the last time I think he saw myself and, and Jeff. They they were actually there whenever we beat the Usos mm -hmm. for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. Right, right, right. Um, but but he would he would do stuff regularly. And there'd be times if I'm ever locally, if I do like third party appearances in the in the area, whatever, he'll always come out and hang out. And it's so funny. He he him and. Wolfie, which is my second oldest, mm -hmm. uh, always talk about, yeah, we're going to be wrestlers too. I said, I can't wait to you guys wrestle. I said, I just want to be the wheel man. I'll just drive <laughs> you guys around. I'll be the wheel man. You know, just, just give me a little cut. Give me a little yeah. piece of the pie, guys. Yeah, be yeah. Keep, it, keep them clean while they're out there. Too. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to. Yeah, I'll try, I'll try my damnedest. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be hypocritical, but I am going to try and smart well, them. Yeah, that's <laughs> all right. Well, that's the whole thing. Yeah. You don't want to say, like, don't do this. It's like, yeah. there are certain, like, Trust me, I've already done it all. Mm -hmm. Let me show you an easier path to get to yeah, this right. way of doing it. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yep, yeah. Just a smarter way, for yeah. sure. There's all, yeah, there's work harder, not or work work smarter, not harder. Yes, right? yes. You learn that in age, especially in wrestling. Of that, yeah. I mean, uh, so back to your uh, your debut in AEW. Mm -hmm. How long did you guys know you were making that de debut before? And then, I mean, for us watching at home, it was yeah. during the pandemic with no audience. It was the very, my, my debut was the very first empty arena yeah. pandemic era show for AEW. And, and Jeff, ironically, when he returned from his knee surgery, he debuted on the very first SmackDown empty arena pandemic era show as oh, well. Shit. You know, so, so it was crazy. We both had, a, had bad luck when it came to that. And, and for me, doing Broken Matt Hardy, he's a very audience-driven character. You know, so I needed those interactions. I actually just... Did uh, my podcast last night with uh, Chris Jericho? We talked about the stadium stampede. Yeah, was, that was uh, a, that you're in the water. I, I, I was watching that. I remember watching it at home, going, "That was fucking brilliant." Like <laughs> you just went through every character, 
like in the middle of the pool in the fucking Jaguar Stadium. That was amazing. We well, we'd had that gimmick. At this my we we built a lake for our dad. He always wanted a lake at one point to fish in. And uh, myself and my brother, we built that for him on our property. We got a dugout. There was a swampy area, dugout, stocked it with fish and everything. And he was very happy to have that. So when we were in at Impact Wrestling doing TNA and I was doing all the Broken Man Hardy bullshit, you know, uh, we created this lake and we did a thing where I threw Jeff in. I said, what if I even duck you underneath? And we like say, this is magical water, you know, because this whole place is supposed to be magical. And you can come out as like Will-O-The-Wisp as opposed to, to Jeff Hardy, like another character of yours. And it became like a whole a whole bit in the lore of the whole Broken Universe stuff where right. if you get in this lake, you can like change characters, go to a different persona, whatever. <laughs> so we did a that a lot. Concept. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then that's what we did. Like I stocked that... Uh, uh, in, at the Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium, I stocked that uh, little pool there with water from the Lake of Reincarnation, you know, in case someone threw me into it. And then I went through my characters. That was the, <laughs> that was the whole bit. And, but it, it, it was fun stuff. And it's crazy how it, Impact Wrestling was like literally going out of business when we started doing that. And then they ended up getting a buyer from Anthem uh, and they bought the company and still took it over. And like things happened with our contract and negotiations. And we ended up going back to WWE. But that whole run we had there, like the creative freedom and the audience they had and, and the way they're content uh that we would do from you know broken matt and brother nero it would go viral like online oh, i remember yeah. whenever we did the final deletion which we really didn't know what we were doing it was like the, our first big cinematic match and it kind of like started this crazy trend of cinematic matches especially during the pandemic era but like uh we were just like shooting and running and we literally had two people doing it it was jeremy borash and a guy named jimmy long and then there was two other guys. One guy's writing notes. One guy's doing audio. And we shot it throughout the course of the night. We were just kind of making it up as, as we went along. It was a really, really small crew. Like, people were blown away at how, how few people did that shoot. And then I remember after it aired on TV, it did the biggest number they'd ever done on this pop TV or wherever they were. And I remember telling them, like, God, you guys should upload this because, like, it's really it's so polarizing, but it's getting a lot of buzz online. You should upload it. And they didn't. And then, like, over the course of the next week, multiple people did, and there was, like, 3.6 million views here, 4.2 million oh, views, yeah. just people, and then they end up pulling them down or whatever, or, like, you know, getting, you know, they, they get the sponsorship money from those guys. And they put it up, like, a month later, but that was, like, a month too late, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. it was one of those things that was a viral concept, and that's what made that whole Broken Matt Hardy thing work so much. And that's what ultimately got us rehired at WWE, because they knew that was, that was buzzing so big. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll get into the WWE versions of it, too, but... I'm glad you brought up that one specifically. I was going to ask, how many, uh, how many drones did you go through with uh, Jeff hitting them? Uh, it's so funny. Uh, those things that, that uh, Jeremy Borash had some old drones, and he had a couple that were broken, and those are the ones he just sacrificed. Okay. And those were all, like a lot of people thought, like, was that CGI? Just no. Like, literally, Jeff, he was finding these drones in his house, and he was smashing them with this, you know, <laughs> breaking the hell out of them, man. Uh, th those, were, those were fun shoots. Uh, we broke seven drones that day i know and then vanguard one we probably went through seven or eight of those but, seven or eight of them yeah but just between like flying them and just crashes or wrecks or whatever the stunts were and you so, know and and chris ultimately killed vanguard one yeah on the and, aw uh, show yeah, yeah with, with, with floyd the, the, the bat yeah, yeah. <laughs> um well, talk about Chris. I want to talk more about your guys' conversation for your podcast in a second but mm -hmm. i wanted i wanted to ask about something you just touched upon you said you guys on that uh that last uh, TNA or Impact um, uh, compound uh, uh, match that you put together with Jeff, you said you guys were kind of just doing it by the seat of your pants, kind of like. So were you guys like? I'm asking more on the technical side of it, behind the scenes. Yep. Were you taking breaks in the middle of the matches and then coming back to like the lockups, like in the same? You're like, oh, this is where we were. We have to come back into that. Or was the match itself just kind of filmed 
several times and you pieced it together? Did you actually take breaks, I guess, about masks? Yeah, we, we, we did, uh, like you said, we, we filmed the match a couple times from different angles. And like one time they shot up and they got the drone and then they got a couple different cameras, whatever. Uh, but we pretty much did the whole match through like one or two times, but we didn't like, you know, cut tape and then like drop down and then start again or whatever. Okay. We just kind of did the whole match through. But then different scenes, like when we go to different locations, we'd obviously like, you know, cut camera and then reset and do right. whatever and move it around. And it almost was like, you know, like a, a movie set would be. Yeah. You know, in theory. And do you, um, now, as you said too, like you guys were ahead of your time because then it came out like that's just how they had to do a couple of those yeah. bigger matches during the pandemic, mm -hmm. obviously. When you're doing that, are you directing a lot of it or is it the team that's kind of, are you just, you just, predominantly worried about the wrestling and then you're leaving them to the, the, the movie aspect of it or are you getting involved in the movie aspect of it too? I do. We had a really good system. Jeremy Borash, if, uh, if you're familiar with that name, he's a guy who did commentary at, at TNA and he was mm -hmm. a major force behind the scenes. But we, he, he knew everything really well from a, a production standpoint, video standpoint. And I would just say, like, this is kind of what I see in my mind. I would like to kind of get to this. And he would suggest the best ways to shoot it. We would, like, literally sit back and just kind of, like, storyboard it on, in our minds, you know, how we would do it. And then we'd kind of run and gun as far, awesome. as, as far as stuff went. But, yeah, I, I was really into, like, uh, being on the production side of stuff. And it was cool to like learn stuff about that too. Is that kind of how you got uh, the, the, the stadium stampede? Is that kind of how that went for you guys as well? Is it was. It you and Chris getting together or who was all involved in putting that one together in the same vein, obviously? Chris really took charge on that one. And okay. he, he was even there. We, we were talking about that uh, uh, the other night too, actually. He, we did that shoot and we started about 9 p.m. And we had until like 5.45. There was a... We were doing fireworks at the very end for the celebration for the baby faces, for the good guys. And the fire marshal said, like, you have until this time, and then it has to be done. And we were, like, rushing. We had a 90-minute thunderstorm there, you know, that we had to stop and do whatever. Yeah, yeah. We couldn't shoot because we are actually in the football field. And then it's funny. There's a point in the match, as we were watching back, you can see, like, where they're fighting outside. Then at one point you look back and, like, everything kind of seems wet. <laughs> you know, like, obviously it looks a little different. It didn't yeah, keep yeah. total continuity. But, like... Uh, Chris was so on top of that. And whenever we, we, we just barely beat it, we got those fireworks in with like 90 seconds to go before the wow. fire marshal was going to shut us down and, and no fireworks was going to happen for the celebration. But like uh, he went back and slept for like two hours and he got up and he got in the truck and started editing because they had to turn it around for that next night because we shot it the night before it was going to air. So they had, okay. you know, they, they had to, to, to do the edits and get it down and then upload it and get it to the truck for the satellites. You know? So it was like a, a, we, were, we were rushing on that. It was a last minute thing. <laughs> wow. So um, do, do you see uh, yourself maybe doing some more of that stuff in the future? Just not, not because of, out of necessity anymore, but like to your point, you guys were like you and your brother, kind of the first ones doing it through the pandemic. It's gained a little bit of popularity and, and a viral sense to it. Right. Um, it seems to me that there's going to be an audience for that kind of match. There, is, there is. And do you see yourself doing some more of that just for fun? I mean, I don't know. It seems like to me it would be like a fun way of doing something you love differently yeah yeah you know? for, for sure and 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 i love it and i i feel like you have some diehard wrestling fans that like if pro wrestling isn't sports centric then it's not right but i mean come on pro wrestling is entertainment when it's all said and done like you know they go well this is like you know if they do it like a movie it's, it just looks so fake and so phony well i hate to tell everybody but when you throw a guy to the ropes he's not automatically gonna come back off the ropes too you know what i mean <laughs> you know what you just it, broke everything that i grew up knowing <laughs> you know what i mean it's just accepted yeah that they yeah. would do that you know so it's one of those things like you, you you can't deny that pro wrestling is entertainment the big scene of things and like mm -hmm. it's been 
over 20 years since the Attitude Era and, you know, the Monday Night Wars where the curtain was kind of like pulled back a little bit and people mm -hmm. kind of understand what's going on. And, and in this day and age, we're in the age of the internet, the age of information, you know, everybody can look up you whatever. You, you don't have mystique in any entertainment anymore. No, <laughs> I'll tell right. you from the music industry either. Course, right. It's very hard to keep, to maintain mystique. And in all honesty, the, the, the new kayfabe in pro wrestling is just taking what people know and manipulating that to have them know like how real or not real is this, you know, whatever the situations may be. And I think that's the new psychology of wrestling, mm -hmm. right? Like, I, I mean, definitely. Like, yeah, so it just seems like, and as a wrestling fan from the outside, just like watching it and stuff, I find, I, I love this new, uh, this new psychology behind it too, because as you said, it is tied loosely or closely, depending on the story uh -huh. with real life. Right. And I feel like that's something that, it brings back that like, oh, is this real? Is this, is, or is it not? You know, which, yeah. how much of this is, is just a fabricated story or right, what? You right, know? And it right, brings right. back that allure when I was a kid and, mm -hmm. and was, you know, my brother told me that it was all fake. <laughs> Sorry to use the F word. And uh, I, I, you know, cried. So. <laughs> I mean, there, there was even, and I feel like it was good for AW Rampage last week. There was a thing where Brian Danielson had his leg stuck like between the ramp in the mm -hmm. ring, you know, people like freaking out about it. And I got some people that did text me like, oh my God, is Brian Danielson all right? I was like, what? You know, and they, they like uh, saw video on the internet where people that were at the show like, oh my God, Brian Danielson fell and his leg got trapped and they couldn't get him out and he was in there for 15 minutes. I hope they're not gonna have to like take off his leg or whatever. But like, it was one of those things where like literally his leg slid in there and then he just worked it the whole while. And, and people, it's, it's as real as he makes them believe it is, you know? And he, he was, he's a master at doing that. And that's, that's so cool. And it's such a cool time as a wrestling fan mm -hmm. because of that. Because right. it's bringing back that, 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 that questioning of like what's real and what's not. I absolutely love it. I, I do too. That's the new kayfabe. Yeah. It's, yeah. I didn't, know the, I didn't know the term. But. Yeah. <laughs> Manipulating information that people really can't uh, be sure of the validity of. You know, that's the new yeah. kayfabe now. Yeah, I love that. I mean, for me, I'm, 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 I love the in-ring work. And I heard you talk a little bit about this too. Like you felt more comfortable when you had like a storyline, a character uh, to, to yeah. play Jeff, more of the high flyer guy and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You felt more comfortable like that. And that's the kind of stuff that I gravitate towards as a wrestling fan. I, I, don't get me wrong. I love a good match just for what it is uh, in the squared circle. Um, but I love the storyline. I, I love why it's coming to that point to get yeah, in the ring. Me too. Me too. And I think that's like that's something that I've always been a fan of. You've been able to do and reinventing yourself a couple of times. Oh, thanks, over man. Thank you, yeah. yeah, that's. I, I'll tell. I'll be completely honest and transparent. The the broken Matt Hardy stuff that was the funnest year of my life. You know, just that stuff was so much fun. It was over the top. It was outrageous. You know, it was uh, borderline can't be absurd, but it was just so much fun. <laughs> I love that stuff, though. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I know the hardcore wrestling fans. <laughs> right. like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and they all have a voice now, too. By the way, <laughs> best thing about social media, it gives everyone a voice. Yeah. Worst thing about social media, it, it gives, gives everyone, everyone a voice. voice. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, but I'm not. I'm. I mean, I'm a, I love wrestling, but I'm not one of those ones who's super critical of right. what I'm watching. I'm, I'm watching for that entertainment value. Mm -hmm. I love some of the candy stuff. I love some of the over-the-top stuff. I mean, back in the WCW era, I loved Disco Inferno. Yeah, <laughs> right. It was hilarious. Right. <laughs> um, but you said, like, that was some of your, your most fun times doing that. Um, that. I understand that was kind of what brought you to AEW. You had a contract yeah. extension up in WWE, as I understand. Mm -hmm. And you decided you wanted more con creative control. Is that is that pretty much what it was? Yeah, I, ju I just I, I realized how I had 
many conversations with, with Vince towards the end. And I just said, you know, like the, the few years I have left to do this, I really want to do it. You know, I love doing this and I want to do it while I can. You know, I want my kids to see their dad do what he loves or whatever so they kind of understand, you know, what, what I do. And uh, Vince, in his mind, he was just said, well, that's fine. We could, I can use you as a talent, but like how I really see you, I would like to use your mind. Because I think you've got a great mind. You know, I'd like you to be a producer and be a coach and, you know, help these guys put their matches together, you know, teach them psychology, you know, keep, keep their storylines moving in the right direction. And he said that over and over and over again. And I, at the end of the day, they offered me some great stuff. Like, they put me in an angle with Randy Orton right before I left. And, oh. uh, and, and we got real hot. And ultimately, Randy, like, kind of killed me off how they wrote me off the show at the very end. And then, you know, Vince, I told, he said, are you, are you leaving? I said, yes, I, I am. You know, I'm just going to go wherever I can wrestle. And he said, well, I respect the honesty. A lot of people try to bullshit me or whatever. And that was great. Very straight up with him on that. And I just knew I went to AEW, especially because I was close with the Bucks and buddies with the Bucks. I talked to them and started talking to Tony some. And then they, they, they were just there to really kind of like you, you know, let you make your own music or, or paint your own picture, so to say. And that's what's been such a blast about it. It was just, it sucked. It was unfortunate for me that Broken Mount Hardy started when the pandemic happened, you know, right. and just the world kind of shut down. So it was a, a weird time for that character. But, you know, we did course correction, got everything back on track. And now just having Jeff here and being able to do the Hardy Boys, you know, again, is just it's the best thing ever. Yeah, I, I think it's the best thing for the fans right now, too. Like, uh, talk about the AEW tag team division right now. Oh, my God. It is so fucking stacked. It is so fucking stacked. <laughs> like, no, no joke, man. I mean, when, when you look back and all the teams are just, you, you think of, like, Usually when you think about a tag team division, because Vince isn't a big tag team wrestling right. guy. You know, he didn't see it as a main event, but you know, AEW treats it as a main event. But you know, you have the Hardy Boys, you know, you have the Young Bucks, you have the Lucha Bros, you have the Jurassic Express, which FTR. is the champions, FTR, which they're killing it right now. They're white hot right now as yeah. baby faces. And you know, the teams go on and on and on and on. I mean, it's it's the 20, 20 or twenty five teams deep right. the tag division, and they're all great quality teams. Yeah. No, I mean, I I've never seen a tag division mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. I've only watched I'm not going to pretend, again, I'm not one of the hardcores that watches yep. a lot of the, I've only watched most of the majors, right? And I mean, right. to your point, WWE, WCW never put a lot of emphasis in those tag team divisions. Yeah. I mean, except for the Outsiders for a short time. But yeah. then, like the rest, it was right. like the Outsiders and then everybody else, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, in WCW, but then to your point, like, I mean, it seems like they're kind of trying more of the tag team stuff in WWE now. I've seen, you know, the last WrestleMania, there was quite a few tag team matches that were, that were featured pretty heavy. But I still think, like, uh, going back to it, it's just AEW is just stacked with, with yeah. great tag teams. Right and, and I think just AEW being here and making sure Vince isn't a monopoly on the marketplace is such a good thing. And I, I think that has forced Vince and his, his team to kind of step things up as well. Because I feel like he kind of got complacent, especially those 20 years where, you know, right. after, he, after he, you know, bought WCW and absorbed it, you know, he just, oh, okay, well, there's no competition. People are going to buy my stuff, whatever. And I think it's just good, not only for the industry, but good for all the talent and the fans as well. Because, like, I feel like this year's WrestleMania was one of the better WrestleManias they've had. Well, I would agree. And, and AEW has made them step up their game, mm -hmm. you know, because they, they don't want AEW to, to catch up with them. And it has made so many insane strides. And AEW's done so many great things in three years. They know that, you know, there's competition looming, you know. So, so Vince is getting his act together. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I think competition is a good thing yeah. in this. and. And not even that it's a direct competition in a lot of respects. Not, I mean, there's not the head-to-head -head shows anymore. Mm -hmm. um, they've moved that around and stuff. But not only that, it's to me as a wrestling fan, it's two different styles, totally. really. Totally. I mean, and and yes, for for stepping it up. I mean, you could clearly see WrestleMania was such a big. As I said before, when I was watching it, I was like, that's just a big flex. Like yeah. they they yeah. went out and did a big flex. They're like, okay, this is who we are. Remember, <laughs> remember who we are. Okay, people. 
And <laughs> I think they did a great job. Like, yeah, agreed. I, but, um, but I am glad that there is that push, you know, and, and it's easy to see why you get complacent, to your point. Mm -hmm. He has a monopoly on it, and mm -hmm. it's kind of, and he's, you know, we talked about father time, you yeah. know. It's catching up to Vince, too. Sure. <laughs> he's probably going like, ah, well, I'm just going to rest on my laurels at some and, point. And, and on top of that, I mean, he, he's, he's working on, you know, he has $3 billion deals, yeah. you know, with, with the, the SmackDown network rights and, and with the Raw network rights. And then they sold over all the network stuff to Peacock. I mean, each one of his deals were billion-dollar deals. Peacock needs to up their game, by the way. I'm tired of that. Like, it's not very user-friendly. I, I, I hear that nonstop. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I love the idea of having a yeah. network, like, uh -huh. especially I was, I got the WWE network before it went to Peacock, loved it. I was going back in yeah. the fall, catching up on stuff that I, like, nostalgic. It was and much stuff easier to navigate, before. too, yeah, right? Yeah, it was. They got to fix that, guys. Fix that. Anyways. Oh, they also got rid of a lot of the Attitude Era stuff. That, that bummed me out. Yeah, yeah. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, make sure you're subscribed and leave us a five-star review. If you want to listen to this show ad-free, Head over to drinkswithjohnny.com and become a premium member. You'll get to enjoy unreleased clips from your favorite guests, discounts on merchandise in our shop, and access to our private Discord server where you can chat one-on-one -on -one with Johnny Christ himself. Awesome! So stay tuned, stay thirsty, and stay filthy as fuck. I digress. I like that we were talking a little bit about the uh, business side of this stuff, though, because I, I don't know a lot about it, obviously, as an outsider. But again, on your podcast, The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, to listen to it and subscribe right now, um, you talk a little bit about the, the monetary gains and, and business side of stuff, too, on that podcast. Mm -hmm. I found it very interesting. One of the first ones was how little you guys got paid for that No Mercy ladder match. Yeah. Um, and uh, where that goes. And can you talk a little bit about... Uh, the industry as a whole, where it's at now, monetarily, business-wise, as, as compared. I mean, we go back to those Monday Night Wars. It looked like the, wrestling is the biggest thing in the world, mainstream everywhere. Right. It's not necessarily mainstream to everyone outside of wrestling. Like, I mean, at that time, you had guys on talk shows, Saturday Night Live, yeah. everything like that. They were hosting everything. They're not maybe in that forefront, but it seems to me the business is much bigger than it was then in a lot of respects. It's, it's definitely more profitable, right. especially because of TV rights, because wrestling has just been a proven commodity, you know, to, to TV stations. And that's why, like, even last night we've been going out against the NBA Finals and the NHL, play, NHL playoffs have been happening. You know, we were still the sixth-ranked show last night on, on TV, which was cool for yeah, Dynamite. That's huge. That, that's know. time of year. That's really huge. Yeah, especially this time of year against that diehard competition. If you, if you remove those things, we're going to be in, you know, top three every mm -hmm. single time. And that's a company, once again, that's three years old. I mean, like, I can't put over Tony Khan enough with how many strides he's made over the last three years. It's, it's been truly incredible. But it, when, it, when it comes to, to monetary purposes, I, I think there's a lot more opportunities for guys to actually make money now. Because the business, much like all businesses, are so diversified. You know, and you were talking about how it's not really mainstream, but there's just like this niche now. Like, you know, if it's like... You know, music, there's a niche, but then there's all these different things you can do around it. And I feel like with wrestling, it's like that as well. Mm -hmm. And especially the way Tony has this great mentality where Vince, when you, when you work for Vince, he might book you on third-party appearances and you get a little piece of the pie, but you don't get it all. But, like, you don't get to do your own stuff. You know, there was a time where he even, like, you know, took cameos away from people that would do that for a couple extra bucks. And then he said, well, they'll go through WWE, you'll get paid on it like a royalty. Or Twitch, for instance, too, when guys are making that but I just feel like now, you know, 
on top of working for AW, whatever you make there on top of your salary, you can still do third party bookings and go to cons or go to, uh, you know, independent shows or whatever you want to do. So there's so much money you can make extra. And then you can do things like Cameo or Twitch or whatever it may be. There's so many different outlets to kind of make money. And I just feel like the world has changed where pro wrestling is like, not necessarily a mainstream thing right now. Uh, hopefully one day there'll be some star that comes along that has like mainstream appeal, like a, you know, a rock or a stone cold or a yeah. Hogan. You know, I, I feel like Wardlow is a guy who might have that possibility here at AEW. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think he's very special. He's a good looking dude. Chicks love him. He's super athletic and talented, but like you, you have a guy like that and hopefully that does, you know, elevate uh, the, elevate the, uh, the, the view of a company and, and, and kind of their status where they can grow and become more mainstream or whatever. But, Wrestling has its niche, and, and those fans are always going to be loyal. I don't think they're going to, you know, they're not going to leave. Yeah. And, and it's also one thing, like, wrestling just has been proven. If you have a good product and you do it over and over, people will tune in. They will watch it, and it's always going to be, it's just, it's a, it's a proven draw for television. Yeah. I've been tuning in since I was three months old, literally, so. I mean, yeah. I mean, same here since I was a kid, you know. I was just lucky enough to get into it. Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about the niche, and I want to go back to what you just said right there in a second. But real quick, when you're talking about the niche, I think, it's important to point out, like, niches can be gigantic these days. Like, the, like a the, fan base. Yeah, like, yeah. The, the common thing is if you, if you can get 1,000 fans, you could get 100 million fans. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the, the way that you can build things now. Right. Is, 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 you know, there's plenty of articles that people could go find on this, you know. And, right. You know, if you get uh, 0.01% of the population, that's a pretty big chunk of people. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But I want to go back to uh, uh, your introduction into wrestling. You said since you were a kid, like what was what was it like growing up? Who were your heroes that early on, and who were you seeing on the TV when you were when you were watching? The, the first guy that stood out to me was the Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh yeah, you know, uh, he just had this over the top personality. He had these super uh, flamboyant robes he would wear, and and his finisher was a flying elbow drop off the top. So it was super exciting, you know. Yeah. And we, we were very much drawn to that. So he, he was the, the first guy I, I really uh, I was really attracted to. And then Ric Flair, it's hard not to be a Ric Flair, Four Horsemen fan, yeah. if you're in the Carolinas too, you know, especially when they're from Charlotte. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, that's 100 miles down the road for me, so I, I, I dug those guys even though they were the bad guys. Oh, and and that's primarily what was on the TV for us, you know, like NWA and WCW and that Mid-Atlantic stuff. Um, and we would watch it and it seemed more real. It was like this is a lot of the wrestlers there. They're, they're like your dad's. You know, like in, in, the, in the backyard, they, they will like whip your ass and it's like real, they'll beat you up. Then you watch WWE and it's like kind of glamoury and glitzy and much uh, more showbiz. There was yeah. a huge difference between those two. Right. It, uh, it, that, that, that is what initially drew me to it. And then at WrestleMania four, myself and my brother, we made bets on who was going to win the title tournament. And I ended up betting on Macho Man and he won. And then that was right after the Andre the Giant thing with the title where they had the Hebner twins and... You know, they tried to screw the title. You know, Ted DiBiase tried to get the title off Hulk Hogan. And just that whole storyline, the Macho Man winning, that totally drew us in. And I never missed wrestling after that after day. That. Yeah, man. WrestleMania 4. I was, I was actually at WrestleMania 2 when they did the simulcast. That's oh, why I said three months old. That's super cool, yeah. I was three months old at the time. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I, I totally remember the matches. <laughs> no, I love that you brought up, like, the the, the, the Carolinas, you know, being right down mm-hmm. the street from, from Flair and Obviously, I was a huge Four Horsemen fan too. Even though yeah. I loved all the baby faces in the WWE, but when I would see the Four Horsemen, just something so cool about that. Just so cool, yeah. Just so cool. Well, before we before we uh, hit the record button on on here, we're talking, <laughs> we were talking about a little Ric Flair, right? It's about, the big news is that he's going to be doing his final match out yeah. there in the Carolinas, and uh, are you going to go out and watch? You're going to you're going to be ringside. You're going to you're going to you're going to 
I don't know. Jump in there, maybe? Maybe. Uh, this, this is going to be a StarCast event, which is Conrad Thompson. He's like the godfather of oh, all podcasts. Oh, I love podcasts. Conrad Thompson. Yeah. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him yet. He was supposed to come on the show. Still coming after you, Conrad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, I've listened, I listen to him and Eric Bischoff on uh, 83 Weeks uh, regularly. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, Conrad also, he, his uh, whole podcast network is where The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy airs. You know, it's with him. He'd reached out to me and oh, right came on. to me with the project, and that's how this all kind of came to be. But there is uh, definitely talk of us going out there and maybe doing a signing, and maybe I do a live podcast, and, and maybe even involved in a match in some capacity. Who knows? Maybe I could even, even end up in Ric Flair's last match. Wouldn't that be incredible, though? It, it, like it, said, it, like it would be, up in the be a pretty cool moment, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, his, his mic work, everything that he did over the over the years, just I, we talked about bumps with like HBK and stuff. You got to see HBK obviously took a yeah. lot took a lot from yep. him, um, and just taking bumps in general. He, Rick Flair is like the OG of that. You know? Oh my god, yeah, yeah. yeah Whenever we did uh, WrestleMania, I think it was twenty two, and there's a Money in the Bank, and Rick Flair was in that match. And there was one point where he wanted to take a big bump. He had to take a big bump. Like, he was going to be gone, but he's going to try and come back. It was kind of like the story we were telling in the match. And he said, well, I want to do this. If I'm going to do a big bump off the ladder, I'm going to do it with you. You're the, you're the guy I trust. And I know you'll take care of me. You'll keep me safe, whatever. And then we'd kind of determined where we were going to do the suplex from. And he was going to be two or three rungs down on the ladder. And we got up there. We are fighting a little bit. I'd grabbed him. And I was going to suplex. He said, no, higher, higher, higher. And he wanted to go up. And he went, I said, higher, higher, higher. And he went up like the next to the top. Uh, su- uh, uh, rung before I suplexed him and we went all the way down people were like oh my god I can't believe Matt Hardy just suplexed a 57 year old nature boy <laughs> in this ring and I was like this maniac is the one who wanted to do it he called yeah. the spot and he kept saying higher 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 wow is he so he's just intense like that in the ring yeah. and then yeah so uh, we talked a little bit about the party life obviously you've been a little closer with Rick over the years like yeah uh, how many uh, beverages have you shared with uh, the the infamous uh, Rick Blair uh, I've had quite a few. Yeah, I've had quite a few back <laughs> well, in the day. What, what's one of your favorite nights with him? Um, <laughs> one that you could tell. On, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, one that I could tell. Uh, whenever we were doing TNA, there was one night where he was down and he was buying rounds of drinks for the whole roster and everybody was down at the bar hanging out, whatever. And he came through and said, woo, another round. Here we go, guys. Let's go. And then he went and he took taken his credit card. He'd only had one there. And he went and did it, but it was declined. And he came up to me and said, woo. He said, hey, hey, Matt, uh, can you take this one for me? I know you got plenty of money. He said, just cover it. I promise I'll get you back. And he, woo. And he walks out, but he said all this. And I was like, it with the bill, you know. I'm, I'm still waiting on my, my money back. You had to pay you back. So, well, now we now now we have an angle for that for that last match. You got to go get your money back. <laughs> oh my God. Oh man. Well, his, his, his uh, years of entertainment were well worth that. Yeah, absolutely. At twelve hundred bucks or whatever it was. <laughs> oh, that's how many how many guys were there for that? I don't know. It was uh, there were probably eight or nine guys down there, and they all got okay, a few, couple rounds. Yeah, I was like, well, yeah. that's not that bad. Like yeah, yeah. people or something. You're right. No, eight right. or nine. Is, you guys did some work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate your time, Matt. I really do. Lastly, I just want to ask you a little bit more about, uh, we were talking a little about some TV shows. And I, I, mm-hmm. I, I know you know with uh, young kids and stuff like that, yeah. it's hard to get in those, those shows. Very much. You said you just got caught up on Ozark. Yeah, I have one episode. I have the very last final episode left of Ozark. All right. Well, don't, no spoilers. I'm like way behind. I think <laughs> gotcha. I'm like on season two. Okay. But like, um, it's been good. It's, it's an intense show. It's good. What are some of your other favorite things like outside of, outside of wrestling, some shows, some movies? Because I, I want to get caught up, man. I, I, I'm, yep. I'm, 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 I'm watching all cartoons right now. <laughs> right. I, I see plenty of cartoons at home too. My TV ends up on Nick Jr. all the time. Nick Jr., man. Um, uh, it was cool because whenever I was working and I, and I, and I, 
was just wrestling nonstop from like 98 to 2010, 2011. There were so many great shows that came out. And I just recently, over the last couple of years, went back and watched these things. I, I got to catch up on, uh, I watched 24 with Jack Bauer, yeah, all that from Yang, yeah, which that was a super cool concept, The Sopranos. And I understand why people hold that in such high regards. Now. I'm still, I've still never watched a single episode. Yeah, yeah. I, I just went back and watched I watched The Wire. Okay. Uh, also, uh, The Shield. So uh, it seems like all these shows you're saying are, are very uh, FBI cop related and stuff like that. Would you say that's that's a genre or investigative? Like I like kind of uh, detective, detective. Yeah, kind of true detective. That's also something, especially season one. Yeah, season one was really right. season one was great with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. But then um, I also like a big fan of Dexter. I enjoyed True Blood. I enjoyed Game of Thrones. You know, it was a little disappointing at the very end. You know, I felt like a lot of people kind of felt that way about it because there was so much great, there was such a great investment. Everyone got built up right. through the season. Whatnot. That's, that's hard though. I mean, like Super you build hard. a storyline that has a great finale. Like if it's so great, the expectations are up. I've always, there's another reason why I waited for Sopranos this long mm -hmm. and other shows is I can't handle when people hype stuff up and then, cause I'm always let down. Right, <laughs> like, right, right. I want to go in not knowing anything and mm -hmm. I'll, be, I'll be excited, lower my expectations. Uh, I mean, that's one thing I say, I say it to my wife all the time too. I say unrealistic expectations will always be met with disappointment. hundred you know? percent. And, and that's one Wait, of the why things. do you say that to your wife? Is there something? <laughs> she, 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 has, she has high expectations sometimes. <laughs> you know, I just try like Of you specifically? Or? No, just things in general. Yeah. Everything has to be good. She's a, she's a perfectionist in many ways. Well, my wife has way too high expectations for me. And it's, <laughs> and it's still down there. Right. <laughs> I try and keep mine as low as possible. Yeah, smart, you know, I want to look man. super successful. <laughs> and that you are, man. I'm looking forward to this weekend. Looking forward to the pay-per-view. Looking forward to hanging out with you again sometime. Yeah. Man. Really appreciate it. For sure. Time, Thanks, man. man. Thank you. It was a pleasure, man. It was yeah, so much fun. Absolutely, man. So everyone go check out the podcast, The Extreme Life with Matt Hardy. And uh, that's it. Till next time, as always. Cheers. And that'll just about do it for this week's episode of Drinks with Johnny. Thanks to Matt for being on the show. Had an absolute great time getting to know you, brother. And uh, everyone absolutely needs to go check out, as I said here at the end, the extreme life of Matt Hardy, the podcast that is streaming everywhere right now. Um, I've listened to a couple episodes. It is absolutely great. I can't wait to uh, dive into some more. Uh, he's already up to like 25 episodes, something like that. And it looks like there's no sign of it slowing down. So make sure you guys go and subscribe, follow, whatever it means these days. And uh, tune into that. Again, it was so much fun. Uh, the entire week of wrestling that I had uh, through Vegas and all the way into the forum, I uh, got to watch Matt Hardy do some really cool shit live, bring my son to the to, to the forum and watch some stuff. And he was, his mind was absolutely blown. Really, really popped for all the wrestlers and all the spots. It was so much fun as a father to uh, share that moment like my father before me, as they uh, say in Star Wars, I guess. Uh, but I digress. <laughs> so much fun doing this podcast for you guys. If you're enjoying it, make sure you head over to drinkswithjohnny.com for more information, more everything, just more of me and more of these guests. And as always, till next time, cheers. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. 
You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.